Thanks to Cove for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Cove is the leading online migraine clinic specializing in the diagnosis and treatment of migraines all from the comfort of your own home. Go to withcove.com slash dreamjob for 50% off your first month of medication and free two-day shipping. Also, thanks to Miro. Miro is a collaborative whiteboarding online platform created to help visualize, discuss, and share work. Just like the whiteboard that hangs in your office, you can consider Miro a blank slate where you and your team or friends can all work, play, or something in between. Go to Miro, that's M-I-R-O.com slash dreamjob to start your free account. We're also supported by BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Start living a better life today. And thanks to Truebill, over 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. And Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, you don't want, or you simply forgot about. Go right now, truebill.com slash dreamjob. It could save you hundreds a year. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So we have such a good conversation. I can't wait to dive in. Brandy Carlisle is here and we're going to get right to it. But before we do, I just wanted you to know that we have this awesome new thing we rolled out just a couple weeks ago. It's called the Insiders Club. And the Insiders Club is behind the scenes, cool videos for me every single week and some extra mini episodes. So if you were liking having more connection and you want me sort of there with you, motivating you and rallying for you and also taking you behind the scenes of my life, you can go check that out and become part of the insiders. Go to kathyheller.com slash insider. All right. Well, I am just so excited because the incredible Brandi Carlisle is here today on the show. She is a multi-Grammy winning singer-songwriter, producer, a New York Times bestselling author, and she was one of my inspirations when I was starting my career in music. So this is such a big deal for me personally. You might have heard some of her popular albums and songs like The Story, The Joke, Give Up the Ghost, Bear Creek, The Fire Watcher's Daughter, By the Way, I Forgive You, and so many more. And she just released another gorgeous album called In These Silent Days. You guys got to go check it out. It's 10 amazing songs about acceptance, faith, loss, love, celebration, and finding beauty in the brokenness. We're going to talk about what inspired the album. And we're also going to talk about her memoir, Broken Horses, where she shares her journey into music and motherhood and faith and, and giving back. It's such a great read. And I want to make sure that you guys go get your copy. Brandy has collabed with music icons like Elton John, Dolly Parton, Pearl Jam, Alicia Keys, Joni Mitchell, and many more. And if that wasn't enough, she's the founder of the Looking Out Foundation, which is dedicated to amplifying the impact of music by empowering those without a voice. Brandy is truly doing her work in the world, and she does it with such grace and such humility. It was such an honor to have her on the show, and I can't wait for you to hear this. So without further ado, please welcome the one and only extraordinary Brandy Carlisle. Uh, today is such a sweet day. It is such a gift to meet such courageous, vulnerable, talented souls. So Brandy, thank you so much for making the time. This is just an unbelievable treat. Oh man, it's the treat is all mine. I'm happy to do it and excited to talk to you. Look at you with that much humility. Come on, come on. So we have an audience that I feel like is your audience. We are all seekers and you are both a seeker and a finder. And um, you've given us so much because you are willing to be vulnerable and honest and brave. But you had a journey, just like everybody knows, but sometimes forgets. When we see people as successful and brave as you, we forget that you started somewhere else. So can you tell us a little bit about the journey that led you to uncovering this truth, starting down this path, taking those steps? Well, it started when I was like a little girl, you know, I've been a performer and a communicator um, and I've been musical since I was so young. It's kind of the only thing I know, which has been an interesting thing this year, watching it go away for a little while for the first time since I was like eight years old. And I just knew right away that the place I'm the most comfortable, the place I belong the most in the world is with people, speaking with, singing with, and communicating with people. And I knew that, you know, I would eventually run out of groups of people where I lived and needed to travel and find more people. And that's what led me to be an artist. I think that like, you know, with a lot of artists, it starts like with music first, you know, and with me, it really started with people first. And I've seen the way that that's kind of branched off into different areas of my life, but I am a proper culty codependent person. 
that's led me to become a songwriter and singer and an author and to put together groups of people where I live and to play music with and to talk politics with. And, and now I'm 40 years old, having sort of transcended all of my wildest dreams and still just wanting to be with people. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that, that it was really about the people. In fact, I feel like a lot of times artists wrestle with, am I writing what I want to write or am I writing what other people need to hear? How do you sit with that? How do you make sense of writing something that feels authentic, but at the same time, making things that make other people feel seen? Well, I sometimes I don't even know if I'm writing a song, you know, so I try not to, the older I get, I try, I try to put less and less pressure on myself to um, create in the prose that I'm known for at any given time. And kind of a Gemini so I like to be a totally other person half the time and um I find that like the older I get like integrating my opposites is what's sort of like you know helping me be a better mom and wife and artist and stuff like that but I have never really been one to let the pressure of an audience into what I do creatively though and I've never really been one to notice it while it's happening so I'm kind of blissfully unaware of how I'm going to be received as an artist, but as a person, I'm really controlling about how I come across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it seems like you just have such a tremendous amount of empathy, such a capacity for compassion. So it's kind of like, or it's like a redundant, it's like, you might not be thinking about what people need from you, but you can feel sort of the collective. It's just part of who you are which is why these songs that you write, these are songs that people feel like it's, these are part of who they are, right? Yeah. That must be really rewarding to see people respond like that. It is rewarding because I understand it, you know, because it was that way for me. And oh my God, I've got songs that got me through huge things in my life, love and loss, coming of age, religious trauma, poverty, soundtracks for each theme. And I do know that I am that for other people now. And that that's my life's journey. That's where it's taken me is to where the thing I needed is now the thing that I am. And um, I do not take that lightly. I'm too sensitive to take that lightly. And you're not just an artist that every human is just so in love with, but other artists are just so blown away by you. I remember watching Ben Platt cover your song and, um, he was just so sincerely and totally gutted by it. And I think that that's something else to be on the level where you're like an artist artist and you're both, which is such a beautiful thing. I love being an artist artist. And actually I think most of us are artist artists. I do find artists to be exceptionally generous people innately. They always come from struggle and strife. Yeah. And it, I think it's actually pretty rare that one of us loses our grip on gratitude and becomes overtly competitive. I and mean, we have, that's happened. I've run into things like that. But for the most part, I think we see each other, recognize each other. Yep. I know your address. I know where you're from. I can get you home. So let's talk about becoming an artist because so many of the people who listen to the show have a thing inside of them that they really want to share, but it feels sometimes totally impossible. I think it would be cool. I'm sure you've already shared the story thousands and thousands of times, but how you found your way. How did you go from playing your guitar to actually finding this thing called, I'm a famous rock star is the truth. Like, <laughs> your kids know, like my mom, she's a famous rock star. My kids don't know. Like they, I want them to know, but they, <laughs> or they refuse to care. Um, you know, I would sort of answer that question like, in a subtext, like, because a lot of times people ask me about like my advice for younger artists and stuff like that. And I don't really ever realize what I did until I'm giving advice to other younger artists. And then I see yeah. what I did. I always tell people like, find a community, don't become disenfranchised, don't become so independent that you find yourself just gazing at your shoes and playing your guitar in your room, like find people to play with, even mm -hmm. like, even people who aren't as good as you or people that are better than you and make you feel threatened, just find people, find your people, create a community around you, be a part of a scene. And then like nothing has ever changed in this world for better or worse without a community of people not allowing themselves to become disenfranchised and 
unanimously pushing their agenda forward. So I always tell young people, find people, find people, find people. That was the tipping point for me was finding people, finding the twins, finding my team, finding my family, finding my people, creating, you know, a congregation and then moving forward unanimously towards a record deal, towards making an album, Mm-hmm. towards putting together a touring team and finding a sound person and your band and your techs and your managers and putting everyone in place and then creating a show like the tipping point is people you can't do it yourself that's so beautiful I heard someone just yesterday I'm sure this is something everyone's heard but I only heard it yesterday which was if you want to go fast you go by yourself right you go alone if you want to go far you go together yeah. I was like yeah that's, that's good. good oh my god I get to get this a tattoo that's <laughs> With you, I feel like ever since I've been aware of you, your star just rises and rises. But I wonder um, if in those early days, you had to have the resilience to push through any kind of rejection. Did you guys have a moment where you had played songs before you signed with Columbia? Was there any kind of dip? Was there any kind of resistance that you had to push through? Yeah, but I didn't feel it at the time. You know, I think most people at this, let's say so interesting too, because you know, I'm still really in touch with my community and I still live in the town that I was raised in. And I see people put on free shows in the back of flatbed trucks and grocery store parking lots all the time. And they're having rock star, euphoric rock star moments like yeah. at the gorge. And I really remember that. I remember major triumphs in winning a karaoke contest, which actually I never did win. I always got runner up. Stop but, it. Oh my God. <laughs> That's hilarious. Are just imperative to learning to weather them on the journey, having people walk out, straight up walk out on you while you're singing, not listen to you, talk, vomit on your shoes, dance too hard and whap your microphone into your teeth. All those are little micro rejections, you know, that an artist like absolutely has to weather. And then I think a person's soul like innately knows whether an artist has weathered those things because you'll sort of see these people sort of rise and fall with a trend or with a song or with a movement. And it happens, like you said, so quickly, but the audience doesn't know why they feel the way they feel when they're listening to a veteran. It's like, you could be a young veteran and have come up the hard way, or you can be, you know, my age or you can be older, but there's like this edge of your seat thing that people feel like anything could happen, but this person's got it. Somehow they've got this handled. It's what I think is the magic cocktail of the Grammy moment. Oh my God. Is that sort of like, you know, when you're hearing something live and you know, you're hearing something that's a risk and you know, when you're hearing something from a person who's weathered enough rejection to have a thick skin and handle what they're about to do. Let me ask you this because we talk about having an upper limit on this show a lot. And um, I feel like for a lot of people, there's this dance where we have like our real self and then our ego. And there's this feeling of wanting expansion, but then there's a fear of being too big or receiving too much. And so the ego kind of does this little dance. And then I meet people like you who are it's like seeing a Halley's comet or something. Cause you see someone and it's so visceral that, that you are so dropped in so authentic, so open-hearted, so vulnerable and have made space for a lot of expansion. How did you do that? How do you drop into that vibration so that you're not choosing to sort of dance with an ego that's going to take you away from yourself if you have more expansion, right? Like you stayed connected Mm -hmm. to your real self yeah, and created the space to just rise. Well, I wish I knew how to explain it a little bit better why I've been able to sort of stay in touch with, you know, the earthiness of my upbringing in life, like stay in touch with my poverty, stay in touch with my rejection, stay in touch with those things that have given me character and a sense of humor and a work ethic, but also allow myself to sort of transcend and get beyond my station. The Brits say, you know, the, the Southern folks say, get above my raisin. And the truth is I do that dance you're talking about. I do set limits for myself and I say, well, I don't want to hit or, well, I don't want to do this big thing because I've got no desire to be famous or, 
you know, I do sometimes put ceilings over my head and then I make a decision when I get to them whether or not I want to crash through, but they're calculated and I hope they're not ego. But one thing that I'm really proud of is whether it's those ceilings, whether it's inertia, I'm probably the slowest rising Haley's comet in the music industry. You know, it's like, <laughs> you look at me, it's like, is that a comet or is that a satellite? Is it even moving? It's like my trajectory is so slow <laughs> that I feel like I'm at a place now where I know what to do with it. You know, I know what to do with pivotal high adrenaline moments, which is to calm yeah. down, be in them and not experience them in retrospect. Ugh, yeah. Do with money, which is to recognize it, name it, thank it, let it go from me and try not to fixate on it or hold on to it. I know what to do with fame, which is not to let it define me, never to believe hype about myself. And I wouldn't have known any of these things in my 20s. I see people that handle it really well, but I just don't think I would have been one of those kids. So the fact that big things are happening for me and I'm 40 is right. It's just, it's just right. And I didn't do it um, for myself. You know, I think that it came from somewhere else. That is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. That is its own. And we're going to talk about your book, but like what you just said, even though aspects of that show up in your memoir, like that's a whole podcast, that's a whole series. And it is interesting because you are the vessel, right? So, so much light gets poured through you. So for you to sort of take the train off the track, that would almost be you getting in the way of this gift, which really, like you just said, it's coming through you. Yeah. You know, and I, I know it because it came through other people to me when I was young and I needed like musicians and countercultural spiritual definers and a friend, you know, when I felt alone. And then obviously I garnered other resources, like a platform to say important and difficult things or money and <sighs> those kinds of monetary resources that I can filter through and help other people in my backyard. But, you know, obviously in faraway places too. So it's just a matter of like being old enough and slowing down enough to recognize those resources and like appropriate them. Yeah. You just made me think of being 18 and 19 and 20 and going to the Lilith fair and crying, crying tears. Of, it was like a total religious experience. So we're the same age and we're the same person then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also Gemini. Um, birthday? June 19th. June 19th. What's your Enneagram number? Oh, it's a really good question. And I never remember because I've taken it a while ago, but I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm tied for two, seven. I don't know. What are you eight? No, oh, good. No, I'm not an eight. And I don't always get along with eights, but when I do, it's, it's, it's on. No, I don't remember what I am. <laughs> what are you? I'm a one. Oh, that's unusual. I don't think I don't, I don't know anyone who's a one. Renee Brown is a one. You're usually like good company. You find the most embarrassing is the number that you are. <laughs> I need to take it again because I, I really it comes it comes up more than you think. I love this conversation, but before we keep going, we're just going to thank our sponsors. We've all had those moments when we're feeling down or we're not moving towards our goals. For me, it always helps to talk it out with someone who can give you an outside perspective, like a therapist from BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours, all without having to sit in a waiting room. Anything you share is completely confidential and BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. You can even get financial aid. Plus, they offer a broad range of expertise like relationships, depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, self-esteem, and so much more. I've been in therapy since I'm about 15 and it's helped me get clarity and work out some of my struggles. So I think it's really important that it's available to everyone. And I love that BetterHelp is making it possible for all of us to take care of our mental health. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Dream job. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash dream job for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. 
Do you have any idea how many subscriptions you unknowingly pay for every month? You probably don't want to know the answer, so why not skip to the part where you're using Truebill and identifying where you can stop spending and start saving? Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. See all your subscriptions in one place, keep the ones you want, and cancel the ones you don't right from the app. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions for you, so no talking to humans and no difficult conversations. Truebill has over 2 million users and helps save them over 100 million million. And on average, people are saving thousands a year with Truebill. So I tend to sign up for subscriptions for my business and then we don't end up using them and I forget to cancel. I used Truebill and found out I could be cutting my cost by hundreds of dollars a month and that really adds up. So now we can put that money towards something that actually grows the business instead of sitting in useless subscription fees. Don't fall for a subscription scam. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash dreamjob. Go right now, Truebill.com slash dreamjob. It could save you hundreds a year truebill.com slash dream job. Let's talk about this stunning, gorgeous, generous book that you wrote that has helped people through dark times and good times. Um, Broken Horses, it came out a few months ago. So what did you want people to walk away with reading this book? Well, different kinds of people. I wanted to walk away with different things. And some of these things I didn't realize until after I was hearing the feedback for the book. Some of them have been about, I'm not going to get too buzzwordy, but about like representation, like queer people that are having kids or getting married or struggled when they couldn't get married or had a hard time with adoption have felt like really seen by the story and the concept of like our parenting journey and the way that it changed the way we related to each other. It changed the way we related to our bodies, these kinds of things that just aren't there yet in the literary world or in pop culture for gay people. And we need it. We need to see it because otherwise we don't know who we are when it happens. Like I remember, you know, my children being born and going, what am I? Am I a mother? Cause I didn't, I wasn't pregnant and it's weird and I don't know how to hold them. And they don't want me to because I'm not breastfeeding them. And I'm feeling like there's only place in the world for me is this dad place. And it was really hard because it made me think maybe I hate kids. Like maybe I can't hold babies and I just suck. And I just made the worst mistake of my life. It didn't last very long. You know, my songwriting got me through it. But I think if I had had some books, if I was even honest about it one time and one person I recommended a book or a movie or a TV show or even an advertisement for an insurance company that looked like my family, it would have felt like a softer landing. And so from the book, I wanted like a queer parenting story. And I wanted to know if there were other queer people like me experiencing deep and resounding faith rejection, but still wanting their faith, which was really, that was a coming out of the closet moment for me where it was like, I was feeling like I wanted to be honest about being a Jesus girl and wondering if that would make gay people not accept me in the same way that I wondered if saying I was gay would make Jesus people not accept me when I was a kid. So I wanted to know if I was the only one with that. Definitely not the only one with that. Lots of people by the hundreds have come to me and said, oh my God, I'm still Jesus-y too. Like, can I still be Jesus-y? And I'm like, yeah, you can. (laughs) There's some stuff we have to reject, but you can uh, very well be Jesus-y. And then there are people that are interested in what I do for a job that have music inside of them, want to follow their dreams. And so I thought maybe it'd be fun to put a step-by-step to my own trajectory and all the hilarious and, and complicated things that got me to here. And I didn't know if I had an interesting story until after I wrote it. And then I realized, yeah, it's really interesting. And a lot of people's lives are really interesting. And I strongly strongly recommend that even if you don't know what you want anybody that's listening to this write your life write it even if it's just for you you will not believe how interesting you are and how healing and informative it can be to the rest of your life if you just pause and take a look at it chronologically mine your soul like that it's unbelievable the growth that I've experienced, you know, in my soul from writing that book. So I guess I wrote the thing for me and it's worked. Well, I'm probably not the only person who's crying. If people are listening and they have ears, all of those things, you know, 
just so important, so powerful, so big, what you were just describing. It's like how lonely of an experience to be going through something and not have not have a, a sense of what feels true for other people or any frame of reference. And so the fact that you are just putting that in the world is, it's almost hard to believe that we're at a place where that's not happening more and more and more. And, and it, it's starting to, but it's like really late to the party. Like this is like, yeah. it should have been thousands of years ago. Um, and then the second thing you said, it's fascinating because I had a similar experience like that, but I feel like that's in our culture. It's so interesting. That's, it's also just extremely brave. Like talking about God, are you allowed to believe in God? If you're this kind of person, it's like, wow. And then you just go there and it makes me cry to think of um, how this, this creator of the universe, just, you don't have to do anything to earn love from God. You know, it's like, it's yours. And the thing that's just a think you would have to choose to think that this is, was, and always will be source that you, you have to choose whether or not, because is there something about you now that makes that unavailable? Like that is, you have to choose young and that's really lasting trauma on all kinds of people. But I would say that because it's the community, I understand the most, I would hone in on LGBTQIA plus kids, queer kids that are being told that they're really young, they have to choose between unconditional love from their conceptualized or real creator, and that there's an eternal choice to be made, and they're like 11. And it's just, that's the way it is. And you're right, it doesn't have to be that way. It's horrible. Yeah. I, um, I had a period of my life when I was living in Jerusalem, and I became like super religious, and I started to not I didn't know who I was anymore. I was like losing myself. And I went to see a very, 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 very holy Kabbalist rabbi. And he said, what happened to you? Your lights just went out. I said, oh, I thought I had to be this way. And he's like, oh my gosh, no, you don't have to be that way. You know, he said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture's on God's fridge and love is not earned. Yeah. If it's love, it's a gift. And I think so many people know love as being earned. And if you're smart enough or pretty enough or thin enough or the way your, your uncle wants you to be, you get love. And if you're not, you don't get it. And that's not love. By definition, love is a gift. It's just given. And um, that's such a big part of my, my, my life story. And I, I wasn't willing, though, to let go of a relationship with God that wasn't going to fly. It's not about all the things that people want you to think it is because again, like you said, it's not a conditional situation here. So um, it's so beautiful and this has to stop. I mean, one of the things that comes up on this podcast, so many people who've come through here say that, you know, there's a space for grief. There's a space for anger, but shame, that's the most toxic thing. Yeah. Shame. What is that? That's someone else putting something on you. That doesn't come from inside. Yeah, right? and one of those really dangerous things because it doesn't, you don't wear it on the outside. You wear that on the inside. It's the one you don't tell anybody about. And, you know, that's the cancer one, I think. And it's like, it's very prevalent. And I was actually, I saw that. I don't know if you've seen it, but have you seen Pray Away? That sort of doc about conversion therapy. Oh my God. So triggering for me to watch that. But of course, it's brilliantly done, and um, I haven't stopped thinking about it. Actually, it was so interesting. You should watch it. It's amazing because it just it really highlights like how young and developing, you know, these people are that live in heavily indoctrinated communities are when they you know have to make these decisions. Because it's there's really some serious seriously damaging imagery being dropped on them and stuff like that. But it's pretty good flick, man. You got to check it out. I started noticing all my other queer buddies were like putting it in their stories on Instagram, and I was like, yeah, I, I wish we could all get together and have a beer and and unpack this because this is a, seems like a, a universality because we are, you know, living in the Western world. I'm so glad you're talking about it. I'm so glad that you 
have the courage to say all of these things and the nuances of all of these things, how you're still choosing, you know, what you're choosing and yet you can call out what's just not, it's not okay. It's not okay. And it's interesting because in the work that I do, I meet so many people who have this thing called imposter syndrome. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. It's like at the heart of it, you know, if, if from a young age, we feel like there's this, this thing in the sky that's judging, like, I mean, it's just fascinating rather than knowing, like, if God is the sun, you're a ray of that sun. Right. So what does it mean? Like you're like a connection of this, of this thing. Like it's, it's fascinating how people then get so attached to proving themselves and not being enough and comparing themselves because of that very fundamental, probably first way of looking at the way the world is. Yeah. I mean, you were probably like me where you probably thought you were the only one that had that. And then once those buzzwords started getting dropped and people started talking about imposter syndrome, everybody's like, I have that, I have that, I have that, I have that. And then we sort of realized just a big cultural blanket that's sort of befallen us. Listen, for me, I always sort of celebrate finding out that I'm a cliche and that I'm not alone in, mm-hmm. one, you know, in one of my nuanced deficiencies. And so I have loved to see the culture take that on as a whole to eradicating the concept of imposter syndrome because I know I suffer from it and I'm hearing you say that you probably do too and yeah you're like I all the time yeah we all have those moments so writing this book I mean not just writing this memoir but in so many of the ways that you show up you are willing my friend Mark Grove said to me that every day we're being given two choices or we feel that there's two choices either it's authenticity or belonging And he said, most of the time people choose belonging because we're so afraid to not belong. But then what happens is we abandon ourselves to belong. So then who do we really belong to? And over and over and over and over and over again, you you choose authenticity and the world has in so many ways come around you, but you've chosen that authenticity irregardless. You're choosing authenticity. How do you do that? I'm sure speaking of imposter syndrome that you have moments where you're like, I'm going to write this book. What's my second grade teacher going to say? What's so-and-so going to say? Like, how do you still do something that brave? I loved my second grade teacher. Okay. (laughs) This is Thor. And I had the biggest crush on her. She came to my birthday party. Uh, My cowgirl themed birthday party. Um, That's so cute. I believe I was given a rifle, uh, like a pellet gun or tells you a lot about my childhood. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that for an hour. I don't think you can sort of consciously choose authenticity and know you're doing it, or you can't, you choose authenticity and know you're doing it because like anything that you consciously choose, I think as an artist is coming from probably an insurmountable human desire to, if not fit in, at least be admired or platformed. And like, you know, as a kid, I can remember choosing eccentric things to say and wear and do, you know, like, there was a period of time you mentioned second grade, which is funny, you know, from like the time I was like seven to maybe nine or 10, where I only dressed as a cowgirl in like Western wear with the tablecloth, Western, not much has changed as you can see, cowboy boots and bolo ties and a straw hat and everything, totally oblivious to being made fun of everywhere I went, totally oblivious to the fact that I gave all the adults such a chuckle and all the kids, a reason to just go, what is wrong with this freak? And then to decide that I was going to become an Elton John fanatic when I turned 11 years old to the point where like I wrote E and J on each of my shoes and puff paint and was Elton John for Halloween and made homemade jewelry. Oh my God. You know, went to school with like absolutely not one kid knowing who Elton John was in, you know, 1992. And to the point where everybody's reaction to me has always just been like, well, Brandy's weird, you know? And then I became a teenager and I was getting all my clothes from a clothing bank and I was wearing like dead guy suits to school and cow print jeans and just making decisions that I thought were awesome and ahead of the curve <laughs> and a little bit eccentric. And, you know, I guess in retrospect, authentic, but I can, for as long as I can remember, I have always sort of gotten off and living my life that way, just being just a little bit different. 
than than everybody else and not in a way that makes people feel you know like a being oppositional or or judgmental or that i think there's anything about me that's superior that's not what puts me in a tablecloth western shirt you know as a nine-year-old it's just something i've been choosing my whole life and i'm continuing to do it yeah and it's such a gift because you just being you gives so many people such permission and be a misfit just to be whatever, whatever really feels like what it is. At some point we realize we're not really swimming. It's swimming us. And it's like, what is this thing? It's like, let me just let it be. But it's so the opposite of what we're shown. I have so much more to ask you, but before we keep going, we're just going to thank our sponsors. If you've ever had a migraine, then you know how annoying it really can be. But thankfully there's Cove. Cove is the leading online migraine clinic that specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of migraines all from the comfort of your own home. With only one specialist per 80,000 migraine sufferers in the U.S., Cove makes quality care accessible and affordable. Go to withcove.com and complete an online consultation designed by leading neurologists. It's as thorough as an in-person doctor visit. Then a licensed doctor will review your migraine history and recommend a treatment plan customized specifically to your needs. Whenever I have a migraine, it completely throws off my day. It's so hard to focus on anything, and I feel like all I can do is sleep to make it feel better. So I love that Cove makes it easy for me to get the help I need, and I can have my prescriptions delivered right to my door. I don't have to deal with doctor's appointments or going to the pharmacy. And it's super affordable. The doctor fees and prescriptions are as little or less than most insurance copays, and prescriptions start at just $10 a month. With Cove, you can have more migraine-free days. Get the relief you need right now with Cove. Go to withcove.com slash dreamjob for 50% off your first month of medication and free two-day shipping. That's 50% off your first month of medication and free two-day shipping at withcove.com slash dreamjob. Spelled W-I-T-H-C-O-V-E dot com slash dreamjob. Miro is a collaborative whiteboarding online platform created to help people visualize, discuss, and share work. Just like the whiteboard that hangs in your office, Miro is a blank slate where you and your team or your friends can all work, play, or something in between. This is the perfect solution if you struggle to collaborate outside of a traditional office or use the tools in your workspace and you just want a fun visual platform to organize all your creative ideas in one space. I'm always coming up with new ideas to drive my business forward. And as a creative person, I need something that visually lays out the steps to execute the plan. So I love that Miro lets me write, draw, use videos, sticky notes, diagrams, or audio so I can show my team how I want them to make these ideas come to life. It also integrates tools that we already use like Google Calendar and Dropbox. So it's really convenient. Miro is creating a revolution in how we create and collaborate. So join the over 20 million users today. You can sign up and use Miro today for free. Go to Miro, that's M-I-R-O.com slash dreamjob to start your free account. Sign up today and take advantage of three free whiteboards with this exclusive offer. Go to Miro, M-I-R-O.com slash dreamjob and start using Miro today. There's no reason to delay. So through this pandemic, I know that you've been working on a record that you're going to put out in the fall. Mm-hmm. How did you even begin to have the space and the bandwidth to, to write something during such a dark, crazy time? I've got a wicked sense of humor. I see dark humor. in <laughs> And I finished that book and I thought I was going to have this big celebration where I was going to like not write for a while. And I was going to get out of my house and get out of this chair and go and and do all these other things. Right. And then the song started coming and I was like, well, that's funny, you know, that, that I'm, I'm doing this, but when the songs start coming, it's like, you have to channel it, get it done, or they might not stick around for very long. Like to the point where when they, one of them happens in the middle of the night, like I've got to get out of bed and write it down. Or it's like, I won't be there in the morning. No matter how many times I've convinced myself, just go back to sleep. It'll be there in the morning. It never once has been. So I finished the book. I thought I was going to take a break, but the songs came and they came from the book. Just with a little different tendencies, but they came from the book. And so it's a continuation of it. And probably the only time in my life that it'll ever happen. What are you most excited for people to hear? What kind of new message or what are you saying that maybe you haven't said? It's more about like how I'm, I'm saying it. I think that, you know, when I made, by the way, I forgive you, it was like so cool to be in that space with, with my friends with Shooter and Dave were just like agitators in the best possible way. Like as an audience, like they were trying to get me more and more and more dramatic and they love Bowie and they can see that like, I'm trying to channel Freddie Mercury and they, they know that I'm just like, I have, 
a flamboyant gay man in my soul. <laughs> echelons of vocalizing with both hands out to the side. And they know that that exists in me and that for some reason I've never really been able to tap into it in the studio. Although anyone that's seen me live knows I do it in the shows and, and I have no control over it. If I'm like at a, in a record store playing for 20 people or at a sound check or, you know, MS or garden, I go crazy I, and I can't not do it live, but I have a real hard time tapping into that in the studio because of my people thing and they're not being an audience. So Shooter and Dave were, I think, hellbent on getting that side of me to come out on, by the way, I forgive you. And they did, and they really started to toward the end. And so, by the way, I forgive you ended with the joke. And it doesn't seem like a person could get more dramatic than that, but I knew that that was actually the beginning of something and not the end of something. So I wanted to facilitate the same situation. You can't go back, but I wanted to start where the last project ended, which was the joke. And I feel like I started with that level of drama and then took it out of the stratosphere on this album. The drama is shameless. That is literally the most exciting thing that you could have ever said because... I was not expecting that, you know, because that song was heard across the world. And to think that that was the beginning, <laughs> to think that that's the beginning. Beginning of the drama. Like, like that's amazing. The Silent Days, like right on time is just that step above the joke in terms of total shameless display of drama. And the album does it even more. That is the most exciting thing. Um, I was going to ask you, how could I not ask you? I feel like my fans would go crazy if I didn't ask you more about the joke and where you were when you started to hear that coming in. There were certain lines from it rattling around in my head while I was making, by the way, I forgive you because I was experiencing some really intense things. I was immersed in and completely changed by my work with displaced peoples particularly children, refugees, people living in in, um, Jordan and Iraq, coming from Syria, doing my work with war child and children in conflict. And I was feeling really quite angry. And then one day I met this kid and he came over to the house for dinner and he was like 12 years old and he was so cute. I had a curly hair sweetest little boy total genius like he was in fifth grade or something but he was like doing coding for these internet people smart talk. not normal yeah and I remember him confiding in me and telling me that he was he couldn't go to school he was scared he wanted to finish the rest of his schooling homeschooled because um they were calling him a faggot and then teasing him about being gay and he wasn't gay wasn't saying he was gay it was it didn't matter and I loved that he wasn't being defensive his um go-to wasn't by the way I'm not gay and we didn't know at that point you know whether he was or wasn't but I remember him talking to me and he had this little white t-shirt on and a blazer like a Michael P. Keaton like like you could tell he didn't dress like other kids either you know this kid had like style but his white t-shirt was stretched within an inch of, inch of his life. Like the, the collar of it was down here because while he would be talking, he was subconsciously just pulling this thing down over mm. his legs, just trying to just disappear inside of it. Like he just wanted his clothes to just be bigger so uh. not be outside of them. And I just remember seeing all this self-consciousness in it and didn't know how his parents felt about it, but I just so badly wanted to pull him aside and go, listen, dude, this is how it goes. It starts with what's happening to you, but look where it ends up, you know, it's going to be fine. (laughs) And so I was like, write it down, write it down. And I wrote all these things down. And I remember the studio was closed. Um, It was a Sunday and it just, I woke up and the song was just there, just like staring me in the face. The twins weren't there. And I asked my cellist to like throw the sandwich he was making into a Ziploc bag and get in an Uber with me. Like now we drove to a dark studio. The whole time I was there, I was calling and asking the janitor, to let me in stuff like that. And so we get in there, lights aren't on. I don't even know how to put them on, send the cellist off into a corner. And I was like, play, you know, D to a minor to D to G to G minor, D to a minor to G. Oh my God. And then I just wrote the song based on those things. And it was 
so dramatic and I'll never forget it's like a voice memo on my phone it sounds exactly as the song turned out it's really cool it totally makes me cry I mean isn't that just the most incredible gift to just like have that just downloaded to you I mean that you can pull those words and melodies in I mean just like what does that feel like? That's insane. It's magic. It's actual magic. I mean, it's just like recognizing that you're just, I mean, I think a lot of people probably get them, these little abstract fragments of light, these profound synthesized versions of information that they're, re- that they're sort of receiving from the outside world. And it's just about knowing how to pull which thing and, and exercise them into one theme of light. That's what happens. And we all like have the ability to, to do it, even if we're not musical, you know, I've read some amazing essays and op-eds and dissertations, you know, people should write, even if they think they're not good at it. So let me ask you this, because I know how much you care. And we're recording this on August 17th, in the middle of such a dark week, I woke up today and told my producer, I wanted so much to look like so good because I get to be with you. And I'm like, I barely slept because I'm like watching the news in Afghanistan the entire night. You know, there are some nights where I can, I sleep fine. Last night was not one of those nights for me. So I know that a lot of people woke up just feeling a a feeling of, I just don't want to even get out of bed. Really. I actually heard that in DMs from a lot of people, but we have the gift of being able to use our day to try to do something which feels like what we have to do. And I'm just curious, as someone who is so intuitive, so in tune, so empathetic, when you feel so much heaviness, what do you do instead of feeling like helpless and hopeless? How do you move into creation or action or service? What can we do to take a page from your book in moments like this? Well, that's a really good question. And it's my belief that we all have really different strengths and really different abilities to help. Like there's not only one way to help. Some people have money and they can help with money. Some people have an unbelievable amount of energy and they can volunteer. Some people are empathetic and they can convince other people to listen to the plight of those less fortunate. Some people are really amazing organizational skills. Some people like my wife, she possesses like an amazing amount of empathy, but it doesn't paralyze her. So a lot of times, I remember like um, the book Half the Sky being a really difficult book for me to read. And I started trying to read it and it upset me so profoundly that as soon as I would get that upset, I would feel totally helpless and apocalyptic and yeah. be no use to anyone. And so she started recognizing that. She's like, well, what if I read it? And I have the information and we work on an idea together and you were born to be a mouthpiece. So you rally, congregate, raise money, create awareness, create fundraising opportunities and actual Mm -hmm. tangible logistical ways to affect important change. So I think it's about everybody looking inside and going, okay, what makes me an ally? What makes me an advocate? How can I help? in Afghanistan? How can I help in Haiti? How can I help in Syria? How can I help at the Southern border? And ask yourself, do you get paralyzed when you read too much bad news? Find another person, ally with people, this is becoming thematic, that are stronger than you in that situation and use the things that you are strong around to help in these cases. I have a foundation, the Looking Out Foundation. I was going to ask you about it. I'm glad you're bringing it up. Yeah, I have a board and everybody has their lane. We've got our researchers, we've got our fundraisers, we've got our people who vet uh, the organizations that we're going through into, we've got our financiers, we've got our people. And when something comes to our attention, like Afghanistan, you can bet that it's 24-7 around the clock trying to figure out the most equitable way for our foundation to help. And we're zeroing in on the answer to that. Like, as we speak, I cannot become paralyzed by empathy anymore. I'm 40 years old. I have to do something about it because none of this is luck. And none of the things that have happened to me are for me to, you know, Scrooge McDuck my way through a pile of money or 
believe that because I've had a great show or that a lot of people are playing one of my songs that I don't have to pay attention to the hard things that are happening to people around the world. And like you, I am devastated by what's happening in, in Afghanistan and I'm stopping short of being crippled by it. Yeah, it feels like a, we're going back in time 2000 years. One thing that I feel versed in and that I feel like I can have an impact with is that I understand how to talk about an effective, important change around the plight of displaced people. And I think that one of the ways that those of us who are able to navigate this narrative can help is to appeal to the powers that be to accept as many Afghan refugees as possible, as quickly as possible, yeah. and facilitate and create ways for them to come and into this country, assimilate, make their way through different immigration avenues to Canada and allied countries and find a way to get the people that want to be out of Afghanistan, out of Afghanistan as quickly as we can, as safely as we can. That should yeah. be the number one humanitarian priority, priority right now. With everything you've been doing to care, to do, to help, to try, do you feel from your perspective that we are heading in the right direction or do you feel like we're not? Um, I don't want to make a discouraging or damning assertion about the direction that we're headed in, but we need to work on policy around our willingness to accept, assimilate, and support the plight of displaced people, the ones that border our country and the ones that don't. And it comes from a lack of empathy and just total exceptionalism that's been an American narrative for way too long. And we have to start dismantling it. That's the truth. So I don't have a yes or no answer, but we're certainly not there. And I wouldn't say that we're accelerating toward it at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like COVID, I had Malcolm Gladwell on and he was saying how the gift of COVID, he said, is that um, he's been writing about the issues with racism for so long, mm -hmm. but no one really heard it. But now that people were still, they were sitting still, they heard it. So he felt that that was, that's a positive, right? And so it kind of feels like COVID is God's way of being like, uh, the world is not being run. Can you go to your room so you can think about things? You know, can you just go sit down in your room and think about what you're doing? It does feel like an S storm, but at the same time, I'm hoping that we are on the heels of a great awakening. And, yeah. you know, my daughters go to a, a very innovative project-based school in LA and the principal at the beginning of the school year, she always says, we're trying to raise a generation of optimists because in order to innovate and solve problems, they have to believe in possibility. Yeah. And it always, always makes me cry because I'm like, mm, that'd be nice. Yeah. You are incredibly special and kind and talented and good. Tell us where we can um, keep following along, so keep singing along, and where we can buy the book and all the things. Well, first of all, you are. You. Oh, my God radiate empathy. And I've so enjoyed this conversation and to talk with people like you does give me a lot of hope. And I think that with you in the platform that you're in, we will, you know, raise a generation of optimists. You certainly will. So I think that this is an amazing platform for people to, to tune into and look to your music, look to your artists, look to the leaders that you can believe in and know that no one's perfect and, and look to yourself, find out inside of yourself, how do I help? What kind of wild animal am I? What are my skill sets? What gift was I given? And take it and run with it. Just run with it. That is so beautiful. I heard a story about Nelson Mandela. He was like in prison thinking, I'm never going to get out of here. I'm never going to get out of here. And then he thought the thought, what if I could get out of here? And that made him start writing letters to the US government. And then he, he found out he was going to get out. And then he started thinking, who's going to lead this nation? Who's going to lead this nation? And then he heard this thought, what if I did it? And Brandy, that's how I feel about you. Mm -hmm. I feel like you said that the joke was the beginning of this next album, but I think you're the beginning of leading this generation. Well, God help us then. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
That's so like you to say, but that's the truth. It's like, sometimes it just takes the simplest, purest, kindest vibration. And we're so committed to the idea that it has to be hard. And sometimes when someone just is it, it's actually simple. I think you're just it. And it's kind of simple. Thank you for the really kind words and for the awesome chat. I'm going to be thinking about it for weeks. Oh, Brandy, everybody feels this way about you. It's just a reflection. It's really a gift. Thank you. This was such medicine today. I'm so glad everyone's going to listen. So they're going to follow you. Just tell them quickly. We'll put it in the show notes, but where can they follow your handle? Where can they buy the book? All the things. Gosh, I mean, this is where I'm really bad. I don't, I don't know all of the, um, (laughs) your Instagram is just Brandy Carlisle. Yeah. Usually my wife and friends make sure that all the information that you need about where you can digest the music (laughs) and the shows, it's all there and it's all out in the world of commerce. It's great. Thank you so much. You've given us, you've given us a lot. We're so lucky. Thank you. Talk to me for so long today. Oh my goodness. It was really just such a joy to talk with her. Brandy is such an incredible soul. Here are the takeaways. Number one, it starts with people first. Number two, create a community, find people to collaborate with no matter their skill level. Be part of a scene. You can't do it all by yourself. Number three, recognize your ego, then thank it and let it go. Number four, write the story of your life, even if it's just for you. You won't believe how interesting you are. Number five, make decisions that you think are awesome, even if they're eccentric. It's okay to be different from everyone else. Number six, there's not just one way to help. We all have different strengths and abilities. And number seven, look to your artists and leaders that you can believe in. Look to yourself and ask, how can I help? What gifts have I been given? Then take it and run with it. Okay, now I want to celebrate a win from our awesome alumni. So Natalie said... I launched my second round of tarot oracle card readings on Thursday and all the initial 10 spots that I made available were taken within two hours. This is a big step up from my first launch a couple weeks ago where it took 48 hours for the 10 spots to sell out. I'm just so overwhelmed and grateful for the amazing response I've gotten. Natalie, that's so great. You should be so proud of yourself for not just having the courage to make your offer, but for launching it a second time and putting yourself out there again and again. I know I learned so much from each launch, so I have no doubt that you're going to be able to refine your process and you're going to just keep growing this to amazing heights. Let's all give Natalie some love. Her Instagram is at mintaka.moon.mystic. Thank you guys for listening to this show. Thank you, especially today. I'm so glad you got to hear this episode with Brandy. I know how precious your time is and it means so much to me that you show up for this show and that you come back and listen to this show. If you want more amazing episodes, we have so many good ones coming up. Please subscribe or follow us wherever you listen. And if you want some exclusive behind the scenes content, I'll be sending you videos every single week, some extra episodes. Then you can join the Insiders Club at kathyheller.com slash insider. And If this podcast inspired you today, share it with someone, text it, talk about it on your Instagram, tag me, tag Brandy. She'll be so touched to know that you heard this today. I'll leave you guys with a song. Have an amazing weekend and I'll talk to you Monday.